0: How
1: how tall are you? I'm five foot two with really awesome red hair. And I'm uh, five foot two with amazing red hair. (laughs) (laughs) What are we doing up here right now? Uh, We are introducing. (laughs) uh, We are introducing. uh, uh, So uh, about a a little over a year ago, uh, we introduced into the cast of uh, the Nerdalogs. Uh, very lovely, wonderful, special lady, Mary Beth Smith. Yeah! Yeah! Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, this is Kevin, I'm Chris, by the way. Nah, that. Yeah, i done. Yep. For the podcast. Oh, for yeah. the podcast. Hey, podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, and at the time, we were talking about expanding our podcast offering. And luckily, our wonderful new cast member at the time—not not so much new anymore—no, uh, very veteran—had mm-hmm. uh, a podcast that she was working on called "MBsing," Ooh. which is what you are here to see a yeah. live yeah. recording of. Yeah. Uh, so, some of you, some of you might have been on this podcast at Whoa. some point. Uh, <laughs> I haven't. Uh, I have. Uh, Kevin hasn't. I have not. Um, mine was very important. I talked about Pokemon. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh-huh. But anyway, uh, so uh, we're very we're very happy to have her part of the the nerdalogs family. Uh, she would easily be able to do all of this without our help <laughs> I, whatsoever. Uh, but yeah. uh, we're very happy to give it a home. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, without further ado, yeah, uh, you're in for a really special treat. This is first live MBS thing ever. So hopefully it's something we can do again. I think this is super fun. Um, But, uh, yeah, let's kick it off. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, a big round of applause for your host, the host of MBSing with Mary Beth Smith. Mary Beth Smith! you got to keep it going, since you got to
2: climb.
3: it.
4: Cool! Thank you guys so much for coming! Uh,
3: as this lovely voice said, I'm Mary Beth Smith. This is NBSing. This is episode 52, which makes a lot of sense, because it's my one year anniversary! Uh, This song that you just heard was recorded by my friends from the podcast, The Bearded Ones. Um, They were my guests for episode 26 of MBSing. We did a big old crossover ep. So just want to get in a sweet plug for those guys, Evan Harris and Jason Underwood, holding it down in Greenville, South Carolina for the Greenville contingency of uh, MBSing fandom and support. Uh, And listen to their show on Stitcher as well, The Bearded Ones. Um, Also in South Carolina news and past MBSing guest news, my friend Chris White from episode 39 talked a lot about his film Cinema Purgatorio on the show. And tonight is their world premiere. That's pretty fucking
4: cool.
3: He's the director and uh, and star of a film uh, that he is doing the world premiere of in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. So um, go to his website. Uh, we made these films. Check those out. Uh, keep an eye out for Bill Murray. That's literally a thing. that they're looking for uh, is Bill Murray to try to uh, film a scene with him for the movie that's premiering. I don't know how it all works, but Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, he's a good dude. I really enjoyed that he did the podcast. Um, Cool. That was was top business. I have one other thing to mention before we get too far into this, and that is that uh, my very first guest on the podcast, whose name is Whitney Golden, could not make it tonight. Uh, because she has a show at Second City <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, I don't um, uh, <laughs> uh, she, uh, she sent me a message to uh, congratulate me And let me know that she wasn't going to be able to be here And she said that one of the things that stuck out to her the most When she did the show, listening back to it Was how many times she said the word like And I would like to uh, uh, mention that as a result of this podcast and having to uh, listen to it when editing or listen to it afterwards because I'm uh, egotistical, um, I have consciously tried to uh, diminish the number of times that I say like in a conversation, Um, I think with some avail, but not necessarily with a grand amount of success. So let's all, uh, you know... I kinda want you guys to play a drinking game for every time I say life. Um, just because I think it'd be a fun little thing. And you know, if you if you're getting to the end and you're getting real wasted, then stop. And because I'm not gonna stop saying that word. Uh, as much as I try, it's not gonna happen. Uh, because there's just like not a good way to say things without saying it sometimes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Can you ding every time I say it? Yeah. I don't know if I want to give you that power, Chris. (laughs) To be perfectly honest. Uh, I will say a tentative yes. Um, Cool. (laughs) Uh, So... Um, Another uh, couple of things to get out of the way at the top. Um, It's been a weird weekend in the sense that I had to see... More than one of my very good friends off on uh, uh, moving endeavors. Um, And both of them were past guests to the show. Uh, So James Allen, whose episode about rap was just a delight. My brother, uh, my brother, my mother texted me to tell me that when she listened to it, it reminded her of my brother, which was interesting because I'd never really thought about James in that way at all, um, so that's, I guess those are things that moms help you realize, um, but yeah, he w- he and I did have a, a pretty, like, brother-sister relationship, and I'm really going to miss that guy, so, uh, and he wished me lots of well wishes for this, but he's, like, I think still currently driving down to move to uh, South Carolina um, as we speak. And another gem of a human being, a uh, fellow member of the Nerd Law, Steve Persch, is Somewhere in the process of moving to Milwaukee also as we speak. Uh, He sent, um, along with uh, basically producing the functionality of everything as it exists on the website now for this podcast and for everything the nerdologs do and a bunch of other shit for the group. Steve also uh, did a great episode with me and uh, sent along the idea of, first of all, he sent me one of his favorite quotes from the podcast, which uh, the site should feature some quote clips soon if that's something I ever get around doing, but he made it so that it can do that if I wanted to. Uh, But he told me that one of his favorite things was from Eric Garneau's episode about Bruce Springsteen, where he said that, I feel like Springsteen's narrators are almost always lying to themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, Steve also introduced the idea to me of having a few people come up and give some uh, corrections or rebuttals or retractions for anything that they happen to mention in their episode. Uh, And the first one of those that I would like to do, and if I'm not mistaken, there's someone here that I wasn't sure if he was going to be here... Uh, so I'd like to welcome Spencer up to join me, and Chandler Goodman is welcome to join him as well. Come up here for a second. And I will fill Chandler in as he comes up to the stage. I promise it will only take a second. Uh, Spencer Smith and Chandler Goodman were my guests on episode 19. That episode was about college football. At some point during that episode, between Chandler and I, we said, and I quote, Bottom has been terrible. Yes, they really bottomed out. Spencer said, guys, they won a national championship three years ago. And me and Chandler were both like, "Eh, yeah, but they're in the past. Uh, Later on in that season, (laughs) uh, unbeknownst to us, because it was months beforehand, they not only won the SEC championship, they also went to the national championship and only lost by three points. So, boys, is there anything you'd like to say to Auburn football? <laughs> uh,
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they won it three years ago, and uh, I'm still sticking to that.
3: Yeah, Spencer. Uh, Spencer was not as much of a naysayer as Chandler and I were.
4: Oops.
3: <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? What do you think helped him have that turnaround?
1: Gus, Coach (laughs) Gus Malzahn, quarterback transfer Nick Marshall, that plucky Trey Mason, running back, that plucky Trey Mason.
3: What do you think uh, held him back from taking it all? Florida State was good, but Famous Famous, (laughs) Jameis, Famous
1: Famous, 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 Jameis, you
3: heard the voice. I think that's sufficient. I think they'll accept that. Yeah, right. Unless there's anything else you guys
1: want to say. I also was listening back to that today. And okay. I also apologize for the amount of likes I said <laughs> on the podcast <laughs> as well. <So, laughs> <laughs> and I spilled that.
4: Spill
3: that? Uh, thank you both so much. Thank you. Give quick insert, I will say uh, that Sawyer Heppies from episode 44 mentioned to me that he was very distraught that he did not mention news radio on his episode about sitcoms as (laughs) Uh, one of his very favorites. But we did talk about Big Bang Theory, so go figure. Um, uh, I love you, Sawyer. I don't think I would have said that if he had actually made it, so that's his punishment. Um, cool. Uh, we got one more uh, little retraction to do, and that is with my good friend, Rob Grabowski. Oh um, before you start, Rob, sure. I would like to play something. Oh, boy. Uh, Chris, can you handle that for me? Uh, nope. Hey, Mary Beth. this is it. Tim Dunn.
5: Congratulations on one year! <laughs> Thank you for having me on. Uh, it's a great show, and you should be proud. I want to get you something for a one-year anniversary present. Uh, so what I did is I took my least favorite moment—no offense—from uh, last year, and I, I have a lot of free time at work right now, so I went into garage bands and made you something. <laughs> Uh, so here is uh, a good friend of
2: mine, Rob Blavatsky, recommending something terrible. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a reviewer, you remember. never published a uh, lot. I'm familiar, great, familiar with
3: it. It's a I've seen Biodone. Ah, I've seen, okay, the Biodone holds up. Okay, the Biodone holds
4: up. Okay, the Biodone holds up. Okay, the Biodone holds up. <laughs> Guys,
2: settle in <laughs> how, long does this, how long does this go? Two minutes Jesus Christ <laughs> I sound like that? Wonder, this is your voice people is, want to be friends you. the hook of a song Jesus <laughs> <laughs>
4: Oh, oh,
3: oh, oh. oh no, one more, one more, one more. It's almost over, right, I promise. Oh, one more <laughs>
2: well, uh, how dare you much
4: holds <laughs> up she's <laughs> out easier
3: uh, so now that that's out of the way, Can Rob, I, <laughs> Rob, if you can't tell by his reaction, did not know that was going to happen. Okay, I, on my way here,
2: Tim texted me. He's like, hey, are you going to Mary's thing tonight? I go, yeah. He's like, I did a bit. Let me know how it goes.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and Tim emailed me
3: screenshots of that conversation. Did he?
2: You son of You're all out to get me. <laughs>
3: He was like, I couldn't resist like, the subject line.
2: <laughs> oh, that fuckhead! <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if he had a job, he could not do these things.
4: Uh,
3: apparently, he has a job. Send it to him too. What? Yeah, I just feel good to, to him. There we go. We've got yeah. all our bases covered. How dare he? <laughs> and now, Rob.
2: This is perfect because I wrote a rebuttal. <laughs> <laughs> Uh I would like to make a rebuttal. In epi- oh
3: wait uh, like, I don't have a drink. Only do it for me.
2: I don't have a drink. Uh in episode thirty-one, I discussed pop culture with Mary Beth, and within my episode I mentioned how the Pauly Shore Stephen Baldwin film Biodome holds up. <laughs>
4: In episode
2: 36, a certain Tim Dunn called me insane for saying that Biodone holds up. Well, insane, sir! I think not. I like to think of myself as nostalgic. Nostalgic for a time when a spoof of Men Without Hats safety dance video would get a (laughs) chuckle. A time for when Stephen Baldwin, in need to create a large air filter, collects thousands of cigarette butts, combine them together, while quietly singing... Making a filter making a filter, <laughs> making a filter Making a filter Which is now a rememberable and quotable line And a time when William Atherton The dickless man from Ghostbusters Could bring to life another great cinematic villain I am not insane, Timothy Nancy Dunn No, 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 no Just nostalgic for a simpler time Called the mid-90s Thank you. Also, jury duty is a piece of shit. <laughs> Thank
4: you so much. Thank you, uh, <laughs> I, uh,
3: Rob, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Don't be sorry. <laughs> I can send, I will, uh, I can send that, uh, song to anyone who wants it. We'll say that. Because uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to be dancing to it. Until Biodome stop holding, stops holding up. <laughs> uh, with all of the corrections department type things out of the way, I would love to welcome my guest for the evening uh, General Good Dude and one of the creators uh, of the game Cards Against Humanity, Max Temkin. <laughs>
0: Thanks for having me.
4: Of course.
3: Thank you for wanting to do this. Yeah. And thank you for following Claire's advice to wear a linen suit.
0: Yeah, well, I I asked on Twitter, what do you wear to a live podcast thing? And Claire said a suit, so.
4: Yeah. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I, uh,
0: I also have something for, for people who are just listening to this I can confirm that that's not actually what you wear to a podcast the only one here in a suit No one else wore that uh, okay.
3: You know what? Claire's misled people before <laughs> um, I have something to wear too And it has to do with our topic So I'm going to go ahead and put it on um, It's a shirt that someone in the nerdalogs gave me. (laughs) Yeah! Yeah. And uh, this is a mashup of the Seattle Seahawks logo and, uh, if I may say so, the best uh, species of aliens in the young adult book series, Hmm. the Animorphs. Hmm. That is the Hort-Bajir, for those of you who are not (laughs) present with us, to be able to read my shirt. (laughs)
0: <laughs> hmm. A interesting choice on best uh, alien species
3: <laughs> We'll get into that Okay um, I wore this because Max shares my love of the Animorphs That's true I And do. he's going to be discussing his love of the Animorphs with me right now
0: <laughs> It felt like only the natural thing to do for the one year anniversary right? topic Yeah Yeah,
3: yeah. I think so, too. Uh, This is something... um, Before I let you get into the uh, uh, origin of your love for Animorphs, which I absolutely will, the origin of me knowing that you love the Animorphs was that you tweeted something to the effect of a thing that I own is all the books in the Animorphs Young Adult series. (laughs) And Chris brought it to my attention, Chris Geiger, and I replied, "That is also a thing about me."
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I had so I had caught a couple of animorphs references in Nerdalog sketches.
4: Yes. And now
0: I know where it they were coming from. It was me.
4: Yeah, right.
3: <laughs> and so
0: if you were wondering when you did those shows and one person laughed at those jokes, it that was, was
4: me. me. <laughs> yeah.
3: I think the first time I dropped references was. Uh, in our JJ Abrams show, uh, something that we wrote into it was that we could pitch things to J. Well, we were supposed to be auditioning to him for him, and instead of auditioning for him, I chose to pitch a uh, movie uh, series based on. The Animorphs. Just because, you know, that needs to happen eventually, and that was my time to do it. we
0: can get into the TV (laughs) series. Were you a fan of the TV series? Uh, Did you watch it?
3: We can absolutely get into it. Um, I was a fan, but only because of how rampantly I was a fan of the books. Right. And I could recognize in my teens, when I started watching that show... There was a lot of things wrong with it. <laughs>
0: well, can I can I turn the interview tables on you for a second? How, sure. How did you get into the animorphs?
3: Okay. Um, also, I'll, how
0: old are you? I'm not. Is I'm 25. A, okay, I'm 27. Okay, okay. so that's about yeah. the same. Yeah,
3: I, I thought you were older than me, but not by much. Okay. Uh, so we probably have similar stories here. Yeah. Um, I remember very vividly uh, that it, around the third book. Uh, when it came out, I started to see them in our uh, school's library. I think specifically around time of a book fair. And I was like, this looks amazing. I'm going to go ahead and buy a few of these at once. Uh, And It was like two or three at the time. And then I remember during the book fair, there was a dress as your favorite book character (laughs) thing. And my friend Justin Funderburk, who I played soccer with, dressed up as Marco from the Animorphs. And I was like, you like Animorphs? Oh, no. (laughs) Um, You enjoy Animorphs? I just got into them, and I respect this so much. Let's talk about it. And so I think from that point forward, I would just read them every single month when they came out. Because I just got super into it really quickly and saw that other people enjoyed it, too. Uh, that I thought were cool, so I, I kept doing it. Mm-hmm. What's the origin of your love for the Animorphs?
0: Um, well, I found out... So, looking back on my childhood, mm-hmm. with the perspective of like what I do now for a living, which is like mm-hmm. dumb comedy shit um, and pranks <laughs> and things like that, um, the big formative things for me were... Uh, Penn & Teller had written three books, and my dad had them, and I got them from my dad, and they were full of, like, pranks and jokes. That's awesome. And, that, so, and, that, and they had one about playing Can't with your... Can't
3: even imagine. Yeah,
0: that was really silly. They had one about, like, playing with your food, and that was very formative for me. And like, <laughs> to this day, I do a lot of food pranks, because that was, like, instilled into me that it's funny to play with food
4: By and prank food. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: the other big one was Nickelodeon magazine. Okay. Um, this was so like mad magazine. I had access to like my dad would get it for me when we would go out to the mall together or something, but I wasn't really into it. It was kind of a, um, kind of a bad period. And the, the mid nineties were a really rough period in mad magazine's history. Um, so it was not great. <laughs> um, but Nickelodeon magazine came out and it had been rebooted a few times and this was around 1995, 1996, like, really hit its stride. Mm -hmm. So they were launching new Nicktoons. This was, like, the wave of, like, the really cool Nicktoons, like, Ren and Stimpy. And then they would collect comics about the Nicktoons in the magazine. And they would also have, like... A poster in every issue that was a prank poster. So the poster would be like a fake door, and you put it up in your parents' oh, house. Awesome. You like, you'd like prank your parents. And your
3: parents would be like, well, "What's this do poster-looking door I was, doing here?" So I, would like,
0: I would plan. I would plan for Nickelodeon magazine to get to my house and like set the pranks up. Like it was a. Huge
4: deal <laughs> thing. That's awesome.
0: Um, and I was a. I, I was like hook, line, and sinker. I was, it was Nickelodeon. Monthly? No, it was, uh, it would changed around because it was always flat, it was always in trouble. Um, and this was also around when Nick got bought by Viacom, so it went from monthly to quarterly to ten times a year. Okay. Uh, so this was around the period, I think, when it was ten times a year. Okay. Um, but uh, I bought all, any shit that they advertised in Nickelodeon that they said was cool, I bought it. <laughs> I made my family go to Nickelodeon Studios and I went to the game show that they advertised where they poured the slime on people.
4: Yes. Uh, did you get slimed?
0: I did not get slimed. I saw the slime and I, I tasted it.
4: Uh, LAUGHTER and it's what, edible it's edible what did it, it was like, like
0: sweet green bullshit. I don't
4: know. That corn starch thing.
0: Um, I bought uh, Gak, Flom. I had the alarm clock that made the terrifying, like, auga noise that was really impractical. And to this day, it makes me kind of panicky if I hear those sound
4: effects. Um,
0: I bought, um, I had every, I really bought all the bullshit. And so, and I watched, I had a party at my house for me and my four nerd friends, and we would watch the Kids' Choice Awards.
4: Yeah. Um,
3: I
0: I watched, I would have, I would I
3: did that by myself. <laughs>
0: yeah.
3: Well, um. <laughs> so, I will
0: say it
3: did not
4: occur to me I'm not-
0: It did occur to me on the way over that if you had told me that all of my hours, like consuming Nickelodeon things, would lead for me to read a science fiction series and then get to talk to a girl about it (laughs) for an hour, that I would have not believed me if I said that. That would have blown my mind as a kid.
3: Well, believe it, young Max. Yeah. It is a reality.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So in 1996, in the issue, I just looked this up, so it was in the issue when they previewed the Kids' Choice Awards. Which were hosted by Rosie O'Donnell. Um,
3: As you do. Yes. And I.
0: Who won the, the stupid surfboard that year? I think it was Jim Carrey who was the big recipient of the award that year. Um, they had.
3: I think I saw that. Particular Kids Choice Awards. It was a good one. It was a banner
0: year. It was back. I remember like J- in the golden JC years.
3: winning it, taking um, it all, getting yeah. slimes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's true. I'm
0: laughing, but it's true. Uh, did they give him a surfboard? I have, uh, I really, that
3: I think. I think isn't that People's Choice Awards? I
0: it was some Teen fake awards. Teen, Teen Choice Choices. Awards. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Teen Choice. Awards. They gave him something silly. Anyway, but yeah,
3: they always gave dumb bullshit.
0: In that issue of Nickelodeon Magazine, there was sort of a a stapled. Paper copy of the first half of Animorphs of the first Animorphs book, which was coming out. The invasion. The invasion. That's right. (laughs) With one of the worst illustrations of all of the covers it was sort of this yeah, really The very bad, first one is probably the worst. It's one of these really bad, like, CGI wireframe morphs of Jake, a boy, like, a model, a child model, <laughs> turning into the head of a lizard, because they <laughs> couldn't do the whole thing. Yes,
4: the head. Yeah. <laughs> really <laughs> silly. Um,
0: but I read it, and it was really creepy. It really, it was actually, like, really dark and creepy, which I did not have the um, fortitude for that as a, as Ooh, a child. I, was, okay. I really did not like, I, to this day, I don't really like scary things. Either I Um,
3: uh, I got home last night and my roommate and some friends were watching a scary movie and I went in my room until it was over. Yeah, I don't
0: like (laughs) like scary things. The animorphs I felt like it pushed it right to the edge of like uh, it was just intense enough for me to handle it, but I appreciated the science fiction. Um, and the, you know they also flirted with a lot of different genres I think when they were finding the voice And some of the early ones They really had that sci-fi horror vibe mm-hmm. There were some scenes like that so I totally-, totally
3: agree with you Because I was someone who read Maybe like ten Goosebumps books <laughs> <laughs> that, that totally counts right. I was someone who read Uh about ten Goosebumps books, and uh, I see what I mean. You don't think about it uh, because they were too scary for me. Yeah. I only I read the one about werewolves because I love wolves. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 that is also a reason I got super into animorphs because I love wolves. Um, but they were too scary, and I totally relate that Animorphs was just the right amount of intensity and action yeah. that I still I, dug I, I in.
0: I think what attracted me to it was, it was scary, so it sort of pushed my tolerance of like what I was willing to read as a kid. Yeah. But it was sci-fi, so it all behaved according to rules, so right. I could kind of get my hands around it, and it was like I had this safe way to access it. Um, also, I read not a... Uh, uh, goosebumps about werewolves. I read really Choose Your Own Adventure about, a, Ooh, about, were- about werewolves. Yeah. I had nightmares for weeks. I could not sleep. <laughs> oh, it was no. so upsetting. That um, was around the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, feel like extremely upsetting. I
3: used. Uh, I feel as though I used to have. <laughs> <laughs> I used to also get some kind of scary dreams every once in a while from things from Anne Moore's books. Just because there were things. That just barely entered your psyche enough about them that made me uneasy, and I have a very specific one that can wait. But uh, well, should, should we,
0: should we maybe set up the universe of the Animorphs? Yes, I also think we should do okay. that. Take it away. Okay, so Animorphs tells the story of six kids. Is that uh,
3: technically five.
0: Five. Okay. Yeah, five. Well,
3: <laughs> five and
4: a
0: quarter. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. It tells the story of a group of kids. Um, and they are, they're cool, uh, uh ethnically diverse group of teenagers, yeah, like... um, in an unspecified location, <laughs> and they're walking home from the mall. Uh, they have this sort of web of relationships, like, one of them is, uh, someone's cousin, and mm-hmm. one of them was, like, uh, interested in this girl and whatever, so it was mm-hmm. like they constructed this whole social dynamic of the group.
3: And, but they didn't, not all of them knew each other all that well.
0: Right, right. They were so, they wound up by happenstance walking home together one night, and an alien spaceship... Crashes and in a
3: construction site.
0: Creepy at a construction do. site. Um, and a uh, 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 alien comes out of the construction site. A dying alien uh, comes out of the construction site, and with a with a technology called the morphing cube, and has them all put their hands on the cube and gives them this power. And then he's killed by another alien who shows up on the scene. And the kids hide, and then they make their escape. And as the books But they on,
3: watch him die. That's true. That is scarring.
0: Yeah. Um, it was very, I mean, that book was dark.
3: It I mean, is. I mean, and I think it, that, I, I,
0: I like that. Like, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, I love in fiction when they introduce someone who seems like they're going to be an important character yeah. and then kill him off right away. Yeah. Big, big Joss Whedon trick. Uh, he'll do that a lot because it makes. you I mean, you, it raises the stakes on the series. Yeah,
3: right? and and it's something that the only source of knowledge that they had was immediately wiped away. Right. <laughs> you know, they touched a box. Right. And we're told a story, and
4: that's it. <laughs> yeah, and
0: and also, I mean, I, I really, I, it's a trope that I love in fiction where it's like the. Authority figure who gives them the powers and knows what's going on and understands what the deal is with the aliens and why there's fighting and all of that. Mm -hmm. He's killed and it leaves them like, and they have to figure this stuff out themselves. There's like, do you you watch Lost?
3: I saw the first season and part of the second. You
0: know, in the in the the pilot episode of Lost, I'm spoilers for people who haven't seen Lost. But uh, in the first episode of Lost, they find the pilot of the plane that crashed. And you, when you, they find him, it's like actually it was an actor who was already like pretty well-known. It was like the policeman from Heroes. And he's like... You're like, remember they found the pilot, and you're like, oh, okay, they're finally they're going to get a leader, and someone's going to lead them. I do and remember like, this. And, four <laughs> seconds later, he's, like, instantly killed by the smoke monster. it's yeah. such a good moment in that pilot, because you're like, oh, shit, they're really on their own. Like, there is no authority figure. Sure. Um, same thing with when uh, Elfangor is killed and the alien. His practice. name's Elfangor,
3: just so yeah. everyone knows. So, uh, anyway. Also, as- Elfangor introduces the idea that Earth has already inhabited by a parasitic Right. race of aliens named the Yerks. Yeah. That will definitely come into play. Yeah. So, long,
0: long story short, the kids discover that uh, there's already an alien invasion happening uh, on Earth, like in their town all over.
3: It could be their family. It could be their friends. Yeah. They don't know.
0: Yeah. Uh, and it's, these, it's a race of sentient uh, slugs called the Yerks. So they're very intelligent, but they have, no, they have, you know, shitty slug bodies, and they communicate telepathically in these pools. And uh, um, I guess we'll, we should probably just set up the canon of the universe, although it really unfolds in a fun way if you read the series. But So the Yerks, on the Yerks' on the home planet... They lived these kind of sad lives, these sad, uh, intelligent, slug lives, as you do. And then they uh, discovered that they could crawl into the ears of this uh, monkey, this uh, um, unevolved sort of ape species on their planet, this primitive ape species, and control them. Um, and so that was the first species the Yurks take over, and then they use the ape species to conquer a few more species. So they conquer two more, and then they, they're warring with a third species, and then they find Earth. And when they come to Earth... They're like, oh shit, it's perfect. Like, the humans have... They don't have the right technology to fight us. They have huge numbers. They have tons of natural resources. It's like the perfect planet.
3: Really easy to control.
0: Yeah. They, um, yeah, we have, like, political structures that are easily subverted. So this already, like, appealed to, like, my paranoid... Like, yeah. like, uh, you know, n- nervous, like, child... Yeah. You know, I feel uh, like, honestly, yeah.
3: that was one of the things that the TV show kind of did more for me. Mm-hmm. Was putting it into, like... Uh, showing it against other shows that I watched and enjoyed and seeing that also as a physical television reality yeah. made me, I think, step back from it a little more and think, oh, oh, this really could be real world where I'm in high school and all my teachers are yurks and all this so stuff. So to,
4: to
0: give you uh, just, a, just a sense of the degree to which I was already obsessing over this uh-huh. at the age of, let me do some math, I mean, what, ten, uh, nine years old yeah. when this first book came out. Um, I, don't not, I do not remember this, but my mom has a story that when I was very young, I could not go to sleep because I would worry about, you know, you're in school and they, they teach you like what to do in a fire or something like that and As soon as I started learning that, I would freak out about it. So I couldn't go to sleep. And my mom would be trying to put me to bed, and I'd go, what if there's a fire? And she'd go, well, then we'd... Get out, then I would come get you and we'd leave the house. I go, What if you can't come get me? And she'd go, Well, then you'd leave the house, you go down the stairs and leave the house. And I go, What if I can't make it down the stairs and we can't leave the house? <laughs> and she'd go, Well, then so the fire department would come and they would save us. And I would go, well, What if the fire department is busy? What if there's a fire in another, you know, what if they're somewhere else? Yeah. Well, then the Deerfield fire department would come and save us. What, what if they, what if the Deerfield fire department is busy? <laughs> and eventually she would just go, Then we'd all die. <laughs> and I would just, and I would just lie there awake, just uh, trembling. Yeah.
3: Eventually. Yeah. And How if just, all of those things came to pass, you would all die. Yeah, well, if you travel, if
0: you go down that path, like six more mm-hmm. what ifs, mm-hmm. you realize that like the sun is going to consume the earth and nothing matters. So right. I was like, I was sure. already very, you know, I was already mm-hmm. saw the facade of all of our political okay. and social structures, and it terrified me to look you're into a the, precocious to child. Lo- look into the manage. void. <laughs> yeah, well, I read a lot of Nickelodeon magazine. Um, <laughs> So okay, so the ba- so the, so the so the background of the story, so where does it start? So when the kids get their morphing powers, the Yerks already have a pool in oh thanks Kevin. Kevin' brought us some water.
3: Thank you um, so much.
0: The, the Yerks already have a, uh, uh, a feeding pool. Underneath the city that the kids live in, which turns out to be LA, but you don't know that until the end of the uh, the series. The
3: very end. Uh, like
0: six sixty books in, fifty something. Uh, fi-
3: there are fifty four books. Fifty
0: four books in. Well, plus all of the megamorphs, alternamorphs. Uh, um, there's like, and, uh, and then the chronicle series. The there, there's two alternamorphs. Yeah. What two megamorphs?
3: Or Three no, one yeah. one alternamorphs like four alt uh, megamorphs, guys. Uh, also I almost brought this up So I'm glad you mm-hmm. did The Chronicles yeah. The Yurt Chronicles Are where you find out A lot of that storyline yes. About well, they, their actual They bring it
0: in later I think it comes back In the books But mm-hmm. anyway So they, so basically what, what you discover Is the morphing power That the kids got Is um, from another species Called the Andalites And the Andalites Are a hyper-advanced uh, species But they're sort of Samurai Like warrior-poet Type species um, And they're uh, Centaurs with, uh, with a scythe Tail, so they have a tail with like a hooked blade on the end of it, um, and they're very they're
3: fucking of, badass. They're really cool. <laughs>
0: they're really really cool. Well written, like samurai race of uh, centaurs. They also communicate telepathically. They're warring with the yurks. They're trying to stop the yurks from taking over the known uh, uh, species uh, that are out there. And the Andalites, uh, their main uh, technology and their main weapon is morphing. So what they can do is they put their hands on any living thing, they acquire its DNA, and then they can turn into that thing for two hours. uh, And then they have to morph back. If you stay longer than two hours, you can get trapped in your morph and you become a Nothlet. So they set up an awesome superhero power for the kids with with also like an awesome – Limitation on it, totally, which is great yeah. superhero writing, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. Superman because you and automatically
3: have stakes. You know, totally. every single time they morph, they have to be aware of whether they can do what they need to do in two hours without yes. having to not be an animal.
0: The other amazing device with that is when you're so when you're an animal, you communicate. You can communicate telepathically with each other, which in the books they do with uh, carrots. They put characters and they put speech in carrots to indicate that it's telepathic, which is which is awesome. Um, and you also sort of share the mind of the animal. So the more intelligent the animal is, the stronger willed the morph is, and you have to sort of overcome the instincts of the morph, which is... Which is really cool Like it, it actually like Leads to some really neat yep. Plot devices And the kids
3: And you learn A decent amount About different animals yep. <laughs> Like I'm, I'm serious You're Like I know A lot of random shit About animals Because of stuff That they would work Into the books <laughs> Oh no Oh no I'm so sorry Max <laughs> Oh no,
4: no, no. Um uh,
6: Mary, that's me in our poking war on
4: Facebook.
2: <laughs> this is the end of your
4: reign. Um, surely
3: you do not have your phone with you upon the stage? Matt, and I could clearly. I just liked you. I had my RO on my phone. I just poked you. That's what I meant to say. I just, I just poked you right now during, <laughs> during all of this. <laughs> Uh, Guys, this is Matt Young. Uh, He's in episode 30 of the show. Uh, Maybe a month or so ago, we started a a really vicious poke war on Facebook. Um, Matt apparently thought he won, but I, I just... I thought I, I'd
6: trap you here on stage. I... Or you couldn't poke me back.
3: I had my phone... Well, that's
6: really unprofessional. And really rude to Max.
3: <laughs> Max, Max has an iPad, too. We both have things that have notes on it. You are
6: now the queen of poking.
3: <laughs>
6: I concede... To the
3: So is this it? Is that it? We don't know we're not gonna poke each other? No, anymore? you win. That's it. I over. want everyone to know that Matt and I have poked each other seven hundred and fifty times. <laughs> seven hundred and fifty.
0: I got a suit of
3: armor. Hey Matt.
4: <laughs> Matt, wait.
3: <Hey. laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna point something out. Um you can take it or leave it. Uh I know I kind of started it by, by pointing out that Jeff had been poking me a lot. Mm-hmm. Jeff Murdoch, past guest of the show, often refers to Matt as his dad. Yeah. Uh, so I said, Jeff, your dad's po- – or er, uh, Facebook is suggesting that your dad poke me. That's really weird. Uh, and then Matt, Matt poked me for the first time, and then I poked him back. And now that I've done the last one, technically – Yeah, you win. We no, fucking did no, it. No, 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 Matt. Because you started and I finished, we both poked each other the same amount of times. So we're, we're poke equals. <laughs>
6: <laughs> okay, it's a draw, fine.
3: Yeah. And I mean, you
6: congratulations you on one year Thank you. of your podcast. Thank you. So I gladly uh, allow you to keep the title <laughs> of Queen of Poking.
3: Thank you very much, Matt. <laughs>
6: May may I watch the rest of the show? Uh,
3: You may, as you've been patiently waiting backstage until this (laughs) (laughs) moment. Matt Young, everybody! (laughs) Oh, that was perfect. Uh, What I was going to say is that... uh, Now I can say it as the queen bee. Um, uh, What I was going to say is that... Animorphs gave me... A deep-seated fear of ants. Me too. They're the worst.
0: <laughs> so this is probably like one of the best examples of like the the animal mind being really well written and and great. Is there's one? Uh, so the, so the story was they had to infiltrate some yerk... Co- the kids had to infiltrate some yerk complex in the woods, and the yurks had set up a force field. So they tried flying over it as birds, and they got stunned. And they tried everything. It was
3: bad. They almost died. They had to. Like, find somewhere to morph back into a human because it's the only way you can, you know, heal yourself if you get injured.
0: Yeah. You, that's, that was key to the series was if you could un-morph, you would you would get healed back to your original DNA. Um, but what they eventually figured out is there were places where the force field didn't completely touch the ground because there were, like, sticks and twigs and things um, and little gaps uh, uh, underneath it. So they morph – so they come up with this plan to morph into ants and uh, crawl under the force field. And when they become ants, the instinct of the ant, the hive instinct, because the ant has no individuality, it almost overwhelms them, and they almost get just turned into ants permanently. And There's, they
3: almost kill each other.
0: That's true. Because uh, yeah. they
3: morphed into different types of like ants from different colonies, and they're like, "I have to kill that other ant." Someone ended up cut in half. The whole thing was terrifying, you guys. It was very and creepy. Ants are the fucking worst. Yeah, it
0: was very creepy. Um, yeah, it gave me. It, made, it gave. It gave me a fascination with ants that yeah. lasted like my whole life. Actually. Me too, because well, that was the first time I learned about like social insects. Really- <laughs> um, so the okay, so the animorphs—that's uh, their power—and then the limit on their power, and actually, and the, the other neat thing about that is at the end of the first book, Tobias, who's one of the kids, who's sort of uh, 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 hes sort of the, the long-haired, like, like loner, like emo kid. He uh, morphs Grooding. into a hawk. Yeah, he's very brooding. He morphs into a hawk, and he goes and flies around and stays uh, longer than two hours and just becomes a hawk. And uh, pr- pretty much the rest of the whole series, he's just a hawk. So it sort of sets, so it sort of sets the stakes in the first book, and it's like these guys really – you only have two hours. They, they show in the first book that you, there's no coming back from it.
3: Uh, Tobias, I think, is probably my favorite character.
0: Oh, I'm more of a Cassie.
3: Oh I'm more of a cat.
0: That's
4: really sweet.
0: <laughs>
3: um, uh guys, Cassie was really important because she uh volunteered at a zoo. So she had access to a bunch of animals yeah. that they could morph into. I'm not hearing very much reaction to how important that was. <laughs> Thank you. thanks. So you. the kids so one of
0: the other fun things of the series <laughs> is like you can imagine like so they're battling the Yurks for fifty four books. Like you're gonna run out of you know, things for them to do where it's really original, Um, and to its credit, every single book was, like, a great adventure, like, and it was super well written, they would have mini plot arcs, it was as good as any comic book series, like, in terms of, like, coming up with new stuff to do, Um, and one of the things that started to become a major theme were, like, the personalities of their kids and their political views in this conflict, because they formed this, like, guerrilla resistance, like, fighting the Yurks and holding them off on the planet Earth, and the Yurks start to take them seriously as a threat, and they basically become terrorists. This is before nine eleven, so it was like cooler to be a terrorist, I guess. Um, but they, but they had, uh, but that's what they were. They were, I mean, that's what they were. They were guerrilla. They were guerrilla warfare, right? They were fighting. They were, they were getting intelligence and fighting the Yurks where they could. And they had different uh, philosophies on it. So Rachel, one of the girls in the group, she was like super gung-ho warrior. And she found all her like meaning in life, in like the war and fighting the Erks. And she would always want the biggest, you know, the biggest conflict, the biggest battles. Her
3: battle morph was, were, she had two. One was an elephant, one was a bear. Yeah. She was literally like the most powerful, biggest, most constructive, or destructive animals. Yeah.
0: And she would often, was the one who would push them into, which was cool. She was a really well-written female character mm-hmm. in the series. I agree. She would, Often, like, push them into taking big risks and you know, one big like military victories and stuff. And then Cassie was the other girl in the group, and she was more of a pacifist and she was more of the conscious of the group, and she would always try and come up with alternate strategies occasionally. They would have opportunities to, you know, morph into a human, for example, and that would raise ethical questions, and Cassie would make a rule, like, okay, we're not going to morph into sentient beings or humans or things like that.
3: They, they Like, guys, these are pretty deep things yeah, that a kids, bunch of teenagers for are going science through. science
0: fiction series, it was, it was super
3: cool. They wrote into the book, and it actually made the reader think about, you know— yeah. Wow, there really is some moral ambiguity involved in morphing into another human. Yeah,
0: and, and, and then that was a neat – so then the Yurks, their power was obviously like they could go into anyone's head and control them and then make that person do whatever they want. And the Yurks were kind of like a mirror of the Animorphs. So they were also in control of another body, um, and they also had to come out of the body – I think it was every couple weeks. I can't yeah, remember. It was like every few weeks. Something like that. They had to crawl – they had to go to the feeding pool, which was in an underground complex, and they had to make their host go down and put their ear next to a big swimming pool, and then they would come out of the ear, and they would swim around in this pool and absorb the sun rays from the sun of their home planet. That was how they would feed, and they would starve and die and go crazy if they didn't do that. And then, uh,
3: One time, this was I think they put it into one of the first episodes of the series. Uh, I think it was Cassie got – they were trying to infiltrate one of the pools. Cassie got pulled up as though she were gonna have to let her yurk go into the pool and she didn't have a yurk in her head. So she like picked up a rock real quick and plopped it in like a fucking genius. Super clever.
0: Do you remember? Do you remember what you? Do you remember how you got into that York pool? There were many York pools, but that uh, there was
3: one in the high school.
0: This was the one in the McDonald's.
3: Oh no, I wouldn't have remembered okay, that. Okay, you
0: go into the McDonald's and you order. This was another weird Animorphs thing. Was they all the brands were real, which was
4: which, <laughs> so I, I, questionable. I have, mixed, I have mixed feelings
0: about it. I, I now know that they were not product placements. They were just the authors were just saying brand names. It did give you a certain reality because, like, a kid as a kid of, a, of the 90s, like, that's all you know is like brand. Yeah,
3: if they had said, then you have to go to the McDoogie burger, and right. it was like, <laughs> I'm out. So
0: the the Yerkes secret code word to gain access to the pool is you'd go into the McDonald's and you would order a happy meal with extra happy.
4: That's right. Do you remember
0: that? I remember that. <laughs> so anyway, the, the, so, so the Yorks are terrible. the Yerks are set up as sort of like the mirror of the Animorphs, and they have like a weakness that mirrors the Animorphs' weakness, and it was just, it set it up for this just awesome this awesome series of conflicts through the books. Um, and the other thing that was really well done, um, as I was kind of thinking about it today, was like the continuity of the universe was really cool. So I liked this as a kid. I was the other, my other sci-fi reference points were like Star Wars and Star Trek. And in, the, in Star Wars and Star Trek, they could always write themselves out of problems or, like, this, they always had this sci-fi trope of, like, oh, there was always another species with a new technology where you could go and fix this problem or something, right? It was sort of magical in that sense. Yeah. There was no limit to the number of species in, in Star Trek so they could make anything happen. Um, but not not in the Animorphs. In the Animorphs, you have basically four species. You have the humans – well, four or five. You have the humans, the Andalikes, and the urks, which are the main three in this conflict, and then the two other – species that the Yurks have conquered, which are the taxons, which are a race of giant uh, bugs. Like
3: millipede type Pretty scary. Things. Pretty Terrifying. Scary. They're, they're yeah. always
0: hungry. They're always...
3: It sounds like the, the things from Sliders. Is that that movie? Sl- sure. Well,
4: Slider? Slider?
1: Slider? The, Slider. The that, like, eat
3: people. They eat. Yeah. They were
0: these big, bipedal... One? Kevin Bacon?
1: Bug, bug things? Anybody?
3: Tremors. Tremors! Thank you! <laughs> and then there the were... The things from Tremors. Tremors. Then
0: there were... Mary Beth's favorite species...
3: The horde Uh I, would, I will say... The horde By design were the coolest. It was just a body that had a shitload of blades on it. It was just like literally a walking bipedal blade machine. And then you found out when they made the Hork-Bajir chronicles that well, you know th- you know this okay, come on guys. You know what you're signing you up. You had to for. read all
0: the spin-off books. You know, otherwise <laughs> yeah. you'd miss plot points.
3: Uh, so in the in the uh, they introduced that the Yurks were able to conquer the Hork-Bajir very easily because they're not very intelligent. But there were very specific hork who were very hyper-intelligent. Like
0: mutants, right? Yeah, yeah, they
3: were essentially mutants of their race that looked like fucking walking blades, but also were super smart. And so they had to like deal with the sadness of watching their entire race be conquered by the Yurks. And they were actually just super pacifists. And the reason they had a bunch of blades was because they lived in trees and ate bark. And so they would just had different blades that would take bark off of trees in different ways. Okay. It was really
4: beautiful! Yeah. It was really, really beautiful! It was very, it was very pleasing.
0: That, so they, they clearly introduced them in the books because they need some, like, awesome, like, soldiers for the animals. For fight. sure. But it was such a great retcon when they went back later. And they're like, okay, here's how they evolved. And it turns out there's this, like, peaceful tree-dwelling species. It was awesome. And then in the very end of the books. The, the Animorphs all acquire Hork-Bajir morphs and they morph into Hork-Bajir and like get to fight the Yerkes as Hork-Bajir. It's fucking amazing. It so fucking cool. You just want it the whole series. You want it for 50 books and then they finally do it and it's like the end of Portal and you, you power up the gravity gun you can just like fling the soldiers like every which way. It's so satisfying. You've just been waiting for it for so long. Like, fucking. Yeah. And they're
3: so they're fucking slashing. It's amazing it was, you guys. Right, it was a great
0: You've got to read these payoffs. books. Um, so so, oh, the other neat thing was that they I love that I'll, I'll, I'll always, this will always stick with me that they explained in the series at some point is there was always this question of like, okay, if you're a human being and you're morphing into an ant, where does all the extra mass go? Because there's like conservation of energy and conservation of mass, right? So it turns out it's using some, so it's already, I mean, whatever they say, it's going to be problematic. So it's kind of a dumb explanation, but I love, I fucking love that they tried to explain yeah, it at least. Yeah. Which is they explained that they were sort of teleporting your extra mass into a dimension called Z space. And, I forgot about this um, entirely. Of, and Z space was like a side dimension or something. <laughs> and basically all the people morphing at any point, all their mass with their extra mass would go into Z space, and if you needed extra mass, you would like get it from Z space. And it was just sort of these like fleshy blobs like floating around in Z space. And at one point they're in morphs and a spaceship is traveling through Z space, which is also how they like warp from point to point. They like take shortcuts through z-space and they crash into the mass of the animorphs and they like instantly are teleported onto the ship and they have like a space adventure on a spaceship it was so it was very cool how they put that all together yeah it was really really smart
3: uh, I'm going to interrupt and say that I just got a text from someone sitting in the audience uh, who will be named later that he needs to borrow these books from me immediately. Yeah. So,
4: <laughs> okay, so
0: in my, in my adults enjoyment... So
3: I think we're really selling it. Yeah, I will say, the more
0: I'm talking about it, I have less of an ironic appreciation. I know! For it. That,
3: I, I seriously have had the same emotions because I came in thinking I was just going to be like, oh, guys, we're going to tell you about these silly things, but the more I talk about it, the more I remember how fucking they're, great these books are. Really
0: okay. So um so I've been reading uh, in the last year, like since I've kind of remembered how much I like the anamorphs and how formative it was for me, I've been doing a lot of research online. And as you might imagine the Animorphs books have been really adopted and kept alive by the furry community for obvious reasons they really
4: connect with these books
0: and this book book really speaks to their fantasies and their desires Uh, it was I guess very formative for them in in a very different way than it was for me Um, but so there's a if you go for example if you wanted to you could go on Tumblr and type in Animorphs into the search and look at the Animorphs tag and you could see some weird things Um,
3: okay and I will be doing that later. Uh, There's some
0: weird <laughs> things, but one of the cool things is, if you go to http colon slash slash uh, www full stop Animorphs Forum full stop com slash ebooks you can actually get every single Animorphs book, all the Megamorphs, all the Alternamorphs, and all the Chronicles books as like free eBooks and PDFs.
4: Whoa! Someone, someone's
0: taken the time to like make them all available. Um, so they're all. Uh. They're so all Nick Jansen,
3: the person who texted me that. <laughs> Did you write down that URL? <laughs> it's uh, an- it's uh,
0: AnimorphsForum.com slash e-books. So, uh, and I verified on my iPad that they, that they work. It seems, I will put that work.
3: in the notes for the show. Um, so for everyone now, within the sound of my voice who is going to read all of the Animorphs now. <laughs> so
0: I think um, we should probably talk about the TV show. And then yeah. maybe we should talk about some of the plot arcs. Because I'm curious like, what of the stories you liked in the Animorphs. Yes. So the TV show you were a fan of?
3: Um... I watched every episode, I knew when it came on TV, and I was there for every time. I liked the uh, casting of it, I liked a lot of the like artistic direction as far as what morphs looked like and what the aliens looked like, I, I was on board for those. Uh, I recently acquired Antenna Television, <laughs> upon looking at the Antenna Television listings one night at... Mm, 2 a.m. on one of the channels, I noticed that they played back to back episodes of Animorphs.
0: What is antenna television? Is this like some sort of new startup
3: No, it's like the opposite of that. It's it's someone uh, is
0: broadcasting episodes of Animorphs. Okay, I'm gonna. So I should probably say non
3: digital television. I literally have an antenna.
0: There are it Animorphs, like, of- zooming through the yeah, air. Yes. So, Some
3: Mike oh. TV shit for Animorphs. Say,
0: I have to say, I could not disagree with you more on the TV show. Wow. It was, it has got to be one of the, I literally cannot say how bad though. this show was. In
3: watching those episodes, ah. I realized, holy shit, this is terrible. <laughs> At the bad. time, I really liked it, but I think it was just because I liked Animorphs. Now watching it i was like oh god this show is not even presentable like it should yeah. not exist so as if a you show. just
0: think about like just on the surface just imagine like the challenge of making the show with all of the things we've described right the main thing is like kids turning into animals and you're making it on a children's network with kid actors like you have you can't have in a lot the of animals. early 2000s yeah in the yeah i think it was like 99 2000 like they have no cgi like it's a fucking shit show. Like, they can't afford anything. It's awful. <laughs> the actors are terrible. The animals... Oh, none of
3: them were good actors. The animals, like, can't... Uh.
0: The animals are unfilmable. They won't cooperate. <laughs> like, it's all, like, on bad
3: green screen. It's a long, lot of, like, voiceovers while... The, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of voiceovers while there's a shot of uh rat or something to that yeah. effect, just looking around <laughs> and then and a, a voice act an actor voicing over that going, jake, I don't I don't see where we're supposed to be going. <laughs> like, I mean, just just, it it, was, it was so
0: ill-conceived to make a live-action show of animorphs. Like, it, if ever there should have been a show that was a cartoon, this should have been it. But the one cool thing about it was uh, Jake, who's like the main, the leader of the animorphs and kind of the main character, played by Sean Ashmore. Sean who's, Ashmore, uh, Iceman. The Iceman in, uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, X-Men, X-Men movies, which I just saw the
3: new one and it was uh, okay. I have not seen it yet. It was pretty good. It okay. did not, uh, it did not crush my spirits. That's what most people have said is that it was pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, so I'm trying to keep my expectations better than uh,
0: Animorphs, the television series, but I will say I, I, this is a long shot, but I, um, Uh, Animorphs was on Around the same time I think it may have been One year on SNCC After The Peter David Written Children's science fiction show Called Space Cases Oh yeah. Oh,
4: yeah. yeah Yeah Yeah. That yeah. was
0: really worst, super strong. That was really strong. Yeah, yeah. It was one of the worst low-budget, <laughs> terrible like it kids' sci-fi bad. shows. Like nothing and I loved so cheery, Brian, it was, said Sonny, so much. It so much heart. Lord
3: and Goddard do the best they can. There's uh, <laughs> space cases. Yeah. yeah. I remember it. <laughs> uh,
4: amazing show.
0: I VCR'd every episode. I, I and also watched watched, watched it multiple that. times to get all of the different, you know, meanings and catchphrases. And I thought it was really funny. So now I know, in retrospect, it had a good, couple of good things going for it. It had mm-hmm. uh, the, the main uh, teacher who was the... the disgruntled guy who was, like, the guy who was, like, you know, the teacher who was on the ship with them. Mm-hmm. He was, like, a character actor who was pretty good, and he was an admiral on Star Trek. Um, it was written by Peter David, who wrote a lot of the best Star Trek books. He wrote the Star Trek New Frontier series, and he wrote a lot of the Incredible Hulk comic books that were really good. That's uh, so a good writer. And it had fucking Jewel State as a young Kaylee, basically. Like, they just, we did stole the Kaylee character. <laughs>
3: That's... Wholesale
0: from... From
3: Space Cases? From Space Cases. I never She's like know a that. young,
0: plucky mechanic who's like the heart of the game. I
3: like that you said that was a long shot as though I wasn't gonna know what space I don't cases. know, it was, Canadian, <laughs> I it
0: was a Canadian show, right? Yeah, I think you're right. A lot of the kids yeah. had Canadian
3: actors. Uh, I mean, most of the people we, on Animorphs were Canadian a, a, actors, too.
0: FYI, we really should do a kind of one-off podcast series where we watch all the space cases. I'm in. Well, we rewatch watch them all. I'm
4: in. I believe they're, all on, I believe they're all on YouTube. And okay. And
0: maybe, some, apparently, some people are nostalgic for it. Deal. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, so as this was also an important childhood experience for me because I remember being literally so excited for the Animorphs. I I, I went back, and before the, the series came on, because the series came out four years after Animorphs started, so the first couple dozen books were out by that point. And before the series came on, I actually made a calendar of how long it would take me to reread all the books, just so I could be fresh. You know, you want to freshen up. Yeah. And as a kid, I had a, I had a, a, my reading chair. I had, like, a little rocking chair in my room, and I sit <laughs> in my reading chair, and I reread every Animorphs book, because I wanted to make sure I was up Ready. to speed. Yeah, I wanted to get prepare myself um, for the show to come on. And I remember watching it, and it was the biggest disappointment of my childhood. The I mean, thematically,
3: broke my, it like, broke my heart. If there was nothing that <clears throat> actually was... Uh, a version of a book. Like, they did the first book pretty much in its entirety for the first two episodes, I think they yeah. split it up over, and then everything else was it's,
4: a mess. Like, they just grabbed it.
3: from wherever they wanted in the series, oh, we like this storyline, we'll yeah. do it second, when there wasn't nearly enough to have set it up in the first place. Guys,
0: no, no characterization, terrible. no characterization, none of the subtext, and I remember feeling... <laughs> And you know, to me, Nickelodeon as a kid with not many friends, Nickelodeon was like my connection to the world. Where I was oh, would watch yeah. it, and I would be like, okay, I'm participating in a culture that other humans are participating in, and I was <laughs> deeply, I was deeply, I, totally in, agree I was that. deeply. That's why Nickelodeon was so important to me because yeah. it was like I would watch it and I'd be like, other people are watching the same thing right now. They're doing the same thing I am.
4: I feel and I was
0: deeply ashamed watching Animorphs because I thought this show is misrepresenting something I loved. Yeah. Other People will see it and they will judge my tastes and think that it's stupid, yeah, and corny and all awful. And I I was, like, betrayed by it. And imagine, like, as a kid, too, like, how bad something has to be for you to be nine years old or ten years old and <laughs> think of that shit. Like, do you remember when you are a kid and you would get, like, fucking thick crust like Pizza Hut pizza and you'd be like it's hot it's got cheese it's amazing it's the the best thing I've ever eaten it's pizza can you imagine how badly they had to fuck it up for you to be like 10 years old It is not
3: wrong at all it's really bad this is
0: shit how could anyone like this
3: I know I know I stopped being as excited about it as I was when it first started like I got a few episodes in and was like oh this isn't what I wanted it to be but I love animorph so much that I'm still going to watch it all.
0: Yeah, I did not um, there were two shows that in my childhood that that I just they I they like Completely abused my trust, Mm -hmm. and they were animorphs, and uh, uh, the Star Trek uh, after what was the one after Voyager with Captain Archer, and Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah, remember I watched that when that show came on. Like I was big, big Voyager fan. I was big Voyager fan. I'd watch it. I'd watch it every uh, Wednesday night at eight p.m. on UPN after Doctor Quinn, Medicine Woman, and um, (laughs) I would go and brush my teeth during the opening uh, credits and first commercial break because that was the longest period of time. And uh, my parents would let me stay up and watch it, and I was crushed when Voyager ended because that was my that was my science <laughs> yeah. fiction thing growing up. And then I had my all my fr- my you know four nerdy friends came over <laughs> and we all watched the pilot together mm-hmm. and like discussed our theories like during the commercial breaks. And then when when Enterprise came on, we had a similar, like, I think I watched it with my dad, actually, mm-hmm. and we, like, had a whole night where we were, like, ready to watch it, and it was, like, it opens up with this, like, inscrutable, horrible chase scene, and they're chasing a Klingon, it's in a cornfield, and it's not in outer space, and you don't meet a captain, and it's just this boring... Bullshit opening scene, and you're like, "What is this? Like, show me a spaceship." For On sake.
4: par and with then
0: what animals God, did that to a book that we loved. song started, and you're like, "What is this?" So those were the two times in my life. I mean, I didn't have girls to break up with me, but I had those shows. Sorry. And then, I oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I think yeah. that was, like, what that was.
3: That's amazing. Uh, I, I love that parallel, too, that those are, the, those are the two times you felt like television betrayed you the most. Yeah. Um,
0: I, I felt, and I felt, it wasn't that I was, like, entitled to the show and I was, like, this means, you know, I deserve a good show. It was, mm-hmm. like, I felt deep shame. Inside, because it was it was this thing that I loved, and I had and told people yeah. watch you know watch uh, UPN tonight at uh, 8 p.m. when Enterprise comes on, it's going to be pretty crazy. And I like I had put I felt some sort of connection to this thing, and yeah. I'm just deeply ashamed. I was I like, uh, I had something Rick Berman let me down.
3: Yeah, I didn't have uh I didn't have boys to uh break up with me, but I did have Sean Ashmore and Christopher Ralph who played Jake and uh Tobias who I was in love with. Like I thought they were both very attractive actors <laughs> and I was into it. And they were also on a show. They were both also on a show on the Disney Channel called In a Heartbeat that was about <laughs> Katie Johnson Smith's got my back. <laughs> She's got my back. Living my life in a heartbeat. That was the last line of the theme song. And they were like super young doctors. It was basically the, the precedent to like uh no, it was more what? like Grays type doctors who all like work together. Uh and you know, so in that a, exists. What's
0: how did they explain that in the show?
3: In a heartbeat. Well, they were like, I don't were they were they oh fuck. Um <laughs> paramedics. Yes, that's the word I was looking for that I could not find. Were they
0: supposed They're, to be young like They were like 13? young
3: 20s type paramedics. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Um <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I think one of the reasons that I kept watching the show and kept being into it, because I thought they were both soup's cute, I enjoyed their work on In a
4: Heartbeat, and,
3: and uh, yeah, I wanted to keep watching those cute boys turn into animals in poorly produced ways. <laughs> I, uh,
0: I thought, I thought uh, Rachel, whatever the, the oh, young she, woman who played Rachel, I thought she was pretty cute. She's cute. She was no Jewel State from uh, uh, the... Uh, Space, space cases, cases. Yeah. or and she was no uh, uh, Roxanna Biggs Dawson, who played Boana Torres on Voyager, who I also had a very a big crush on. Okay, um,
3: all right, so maybe I had a little more eye candy than you did yeah. in that case. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I like girls who could fix things. They're smart. They're I so like smart. boys that turned into animals. <laughs> um, <laughs> this
0: Has that affected you psychologically? I don't
3: know. So <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about that furry thing until you told me. I swear. <laughs> It makes
0: perfect sense, though,
4: right?
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. As soon as you said it, I thought that there I, – I was surprised I didn't know about yeah. it. It was basically what I should say. It took me
0: a second when I f- started Googling for Animorphs, and I found this, and I was like, why are the furries posting on Animorphs? Oh, there it is. Yep, that makes
3: <laughs> – it checks out. Um, yeah. before, uh, before I introduce one more uh, segment, I want to uh, talk to Max briefly about um, fake Animorphs covers – that are becoming like an underground meme. I have one as the background of my phone. That uh, this is good
0: podcast material. Is
3: a hey, but you know what? <laughs> it's a jar of peanut butter turning into a dog, <laughs> and it just instead of a title and the and Kay Applegate's name and stuff like that, it just says what has happened. Peanut butter, why? <laughs> and I think it's hilarious. Like, I, I, this is
4: the pinnacle of comedy for me.
0: It, <laughs> it, it totally gets me too. Yeah, like
4: every single when time. We,
0: when we started, when we agreed to do the podcast, we just had an email chain where we were sending these back and <laughs> forth. To each other.
3: There's so. one that's Adele just transforming into a Dell laptop computer. <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> The singer pit bull transforming into a pit bull. That's easy. Seal turning into a seal. Uh, Sarah Jessica or Sarah Michelle Gellar turning into a
4: horse. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, they're so funny. <laughs> so. <laughs>
0: All right. This is, this is one of my other favorite Animorphs details that we should talk about. So every book. Had a couple of of interesting traits that was sort of like cool book technology. So one thing was on the cover there was a CGI morph of. Of a kid into an anamorph, mm-hmm. and at a time when in 1996, was way pre-TV series, you did not see like a lot of CGI stuff. It was pretty cool, and they got a lot better than the kid turning into the lizard head. So yeah. like by the end of the series, they were actually pretty cool. Yeah, uh, pretty cool graphics. And when then,
3: they turn into the horkbir, that cover was super cool. Yeah,
0: and you could tell too. So the other thing was like, I, I always felt even as a kid, I was vaguely aware that there were like marketing pressures on these books, and they were like, "Hey, find some way for the girl to be in a bathing suit, <clears> or <throat> like have them turn into like." A cool animal like don't have them turn into a crab or like whatever they turn into (laughs) like hey could you have them turn into a bear or like something cool that the kids will be into um, and then later, once it was like into the book, you know, 47, you could tell the publisher was just like, fuck it. I don't, just into an alien, whatever you
4: want. Like, <laughs> turn into a yeah. Like, we don't yeah. even,
0: we don't even know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then inside the book, the lower right corner of the book was a flip book. So if you flipped it, you could see the kid do the morph. That was so that the first was always, thing you did. So, like, you know, you have your little ritual when you're a kid. You get your, you know, you go to the store and I'd buy, you know, I'd wait a few months. I,
3: I got get... them from the Scholastic uh, book catalogs. What? I ordered them Yay! monthly. Yay! Every single month, I would order the Animorphs book from the Scholastic Book Catalog, get it in the mail, and it was my fucking favorite day of the month.
0: I think you were a more hardcore fan than I was, because I would wait a couple Do you months. you hear
3: that? It's on I would record. Go, I, would, I, I would go to
0: the Barnes & Noble, and I would say, no, you know, I would... No, every month. I think maybe my parents would buy it. It was
3: like the there. third Wednesday or something. Did I knew when it happened. No, I bought them with my uh, allowance. You did? Yeah.
0: Okay can't remember if if it was like my parents deemed it suitable like oh really it was like probably right on the line I think maybe once they started turning into aliens, my parents were like. I think that you could buy these on your own. Yeah,
3: point. the oh, thing wow. is, as I've established, I didn't have friends, so I didn't have other things to spend money on besides things such as books mm. and uh, little bowwow CDs. Yeah, um. I, did, oh, I was I,
0: I was super into books, and I categorized them according to different systems. I made little labels, and yeah. So uh, oh, the, other, yeah, the right. other okay, so then the final great thing is the back of every book had the same sort of blurb on the back. Which is just like as if you're an Animorphs fan, it's this is like iconic, and it's so dumb. It's such a bad, it's, the best, it's such it. a bad <laughs> premise for a book. But do you want to read it? We do sure, a dramatic yes. reading. Yeah. Okay. Actually, do, should we have Matt Young do it? Come up and do yeah, a, a super dramatically. I really <laughs> yeah. want to hear Matt Young read this dramatically. Is that Okay. No,
3: I love that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be reading cold. It's just uh, it's just the this paragraph up here. Old
6: old man young has to put his glasses on. (laughs) We can't tell you who we are or where we live. It's too risky, and we've got to be careful. Really careful. So we don't trust anyone. Because if they find us, we just won't let them find us. The thing you should know is that everyone is in really big trouble. Yeah, even you.
4: (laughs)
3: God, you're still in trouble.
0: 50 books in, the same blurb, the same corny tagline. I feel like I read
3: it I read it every time through maybe 20 books, and then I was like, wait, this is always the same. <laughs> Damn. Okay, I have to do something, and that is, welcome up to the stage, past guest of the show, Adam Levin! <laughs> He's up here. Okay, do you mind standing? Yeah. Cool. Got legs. Good. <laughs> uh, Adam pitched this idea of... Do, why don't you tell them?
5: Sure. Uh, so guys, you know I'm a fanatical listener to this podcast. <laughs> Love it. Learned a lot. Uh, I came up with a little game to test our amazing host here.
3: Uh-huh. And, and Max and said he might be able to help me. Okay, so sure, if totally I don't know, I might throw it over to Max. We'll so
5: I invented a game from one game master to another.
4: Ooh.
5: Let's go Matt, let's go <laughs> Matt, Mark, Julia, Jeff. <laughs> and you have to guess. I'm going to read a quote. These are all prior guests. From Matt Barbera, Mark Coulomb, <laughs> Julia Weiss, or Jeff Murdoch. You have to guess which one, or who said which quote. Okay. And if you need it, you can ask the audience.
3: Cool. Okay. okay I'll ask
5: Max first. Hmm. Okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and then the
5: audience. Okay. Matt, wait. Matt, Mark, move. Julia. You get Matt Barbera, Mark Coulomb. Is that his last mm-hmm. name? Okay. Perfect. Julia Weiss, Jeff Murdoch. Uh,
3: and I just want to say, uh, Mark Coulomb came on the show to talk about uh, podcasting, and it was a really cool episode to just get kind of meta into what we both enjoy doing. Uh, so check out his uh, past podcast, Poor Choices, and his current podcast, uh, An Hour With Your Ex. Both super great shows. Mark gave me some tips for live shows. Some of them I uh, actually did, and some of them I disregarded completely. So uh, thank you nose. thank you for your advice, Mark. I'm sorry I didn't follow all of it. Uh, and thank you for your continued support. Uh, go on.
5: Okay, well, I guess these other three are going to be upset that they didn't get a blurb. Oh, well, you know what?
3: Uh, I didn't hear... First question! <laughs> are you ready? I'm ready.
5: This guest described himself as, and I just ruined it.
3: (laughs) Okay. Anyway. described themselves as.
5: I'm super blue, super racist, super sexist, and also a Republican. Oh, and I love fucking animals. (laughs) That is Jeff
3: Murdoch. You are
4: (laughs) correct.
5: Okay, this guest described... A certain subject that he doesn't like talking
4: about.
5: as <laughs> <laughs> a joke, guys. Uh, that he doesn't like talking about to his family and friends. And the quote is, On one side of the trench is Germany. On the other is Belgium. So let's just appreciate this trench. And then we won't have a world war. That's how I will win this war. I built this trench. You guys stay here. We'll stay there. And I'll make sure in a year or so, we'll talk. <sighs>
3: I'm going to say Mark.
5: That is correct. Yeah. And that was about his future wedding.
3: That's right. That's right. It just seemed uh, specific enough in a lot of ways to, to be Mark. Something Mark said.
5: Okay. This guest described their love of a certain meat beverage as so.
3: <laughs> I know who it is.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I got in trouble once at a holiday when I was going to <laughs> But I was talking Drinking gravy out of a mug <laughs> Gravy is delicious and warm Why don't we drink gravy? I fucking love gravy
3: <laughs> That is The lovely Julia Weiss you are uh, God bless Julia She's on a boat So she couldn't have been here Even if she wanted to
5: A gravy boat <laughs> <laughs>
3: Or Adam signifies that someone had a good joke. I'll say I'll say we both do. Okay, that. Cool. don't
5: throw me under the bus. Okay, <laughs> I
3: Next didn't want to question. take credit. I didn't want to take credit. It was your thing.
5: We'll talk about a commercial break.
3: Okay.
4: <laughs> okay, this
5: guest is quoting in regards to how they used to chat on AIM back in the day.
4: Okay.
5: It's like, what was my deal? If I told them I liked them, maybe we could have actually hung out. Besides saying things like, you're dumb, but I guess I'll talk to you.
3: That would be Jeffrey Murdoch. You are correct. (laughs) It's so true, though. What was his deal? Come on, guys. What was your deal when you were talking on AIM?
0: Okay. I was uh, in the Animorphs AOL chat room. So did you
4: 1997.
5: Did you neg girls like Jeff Murdoch did? In the What's chat that? room, did you like make fun of girls in the chat room? The secret leader were like, "Why can't you uh, be nice to them?"
0: Ah, uh, Let me tell you that your fundamental premise of what was happening in this chat room <laughs> was
4: literally,
5: literally so wrong. <laughs> literally so wrong.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
5: it's okay, man. Okay.
4: Oh, Next
5: quote. He ended up passing out, or excuse me, he ended up peeing in the cash register of the banquet hall. So the people of the banquet hall ended up chasing him down 4th Street in Terre Haute, Indiana. So the first thing I did as president of the fraternity was kick my brother out.
3: Matt Barbera.
5: Yep. Next. I've had... Two near baby drops.
4: (laughs) Julia Weiss. (laughs) She said she had to
3: start working out more so she didn't drop as many babies. (laughs) Okay. Uh,
5: This this one's a a pretty easy one, I think, for you. Okay. But uh, this guest described their New Year's Eve last year as this. I crowd-surfed during Smash Mouth, and I'm like, if this is how 2014 starts, let it be my last.
3: That would also be Jeffrey Murdoch, because I was lifting him up as one of the people who was crowd-surfing on.
5: Hey. next quote mm-hmm. may be familiar to you. Okay. Maybe not. All right. Let's see. The quote is, it's sweet green bullshit.
3: <laughs> uh...
5: It's also describing some sort of slime.
3: Oh, that was yeah. Max earlier tonight <laughs> yeah. talking about Nickelodeon slime.
5: I do was... not that one.
3: <laughs> sweet green bullshit.
5: And last but not least, are you ready?
3: uh I think
5: it's... it's imperative to follow your heart and choose a profession you're passionate about. If you haven't found the spark yet, if you're not sure what you want to do with your life, be persistent until you do.
3: That's really sweet, and I think it was Mark Coulomb. No
5: Michelle Obama? (laughs) He's actually five time NBA champion, Steve Kerr.
3: Reading it, I was like, "Oh, this doesn't sound familiar." Of course, I wouldn't know the only sincere thing <laughs> out of all of this. <laughs> That's very funny. Uh, <laughs> um, did you have anything else? Oh, what were we, we put something on? We were where... going to
0: talk. The last thing we were going to talk about is some of the plot arcs and yes. animorphs. Right, but but now I think maybe some people might read the book, so we should be cautious about about big huge spoilers.
4: That's
3: cool with me. Yeah, um, this will
0: probably. Talk about some of the things. Yeah, yeah, I
3: um the last question that I always ask, and feel free to uh, interject favorite moments in the book series as you answer this question. Is how do you this feel? A lot of pressure. Uh, hey, okay. you know. All right. I, uh, <laughs> you don't have to. Okay. You just have to feel free to. Um, the last question that I ask of my guests is, uh, how do you feel your love of, in this case, the animorphs, has affected your life creatively and in general?
0: Um, well, the, I listened to the podcast and I could have predicted that you were going to ask me this, but, um, okay. So the first thing was the Animorphs were, I think it was the first thing that I got into that was like, uh, you know, my dad didn't get me into it. It wasn't the thing that my parents were into. Like,
3: man, I
0: found it myself. It was in the Nickelodeon magazine. I read the excerpt, I decided I wanted it, I got it from the store, Yeah, it was sci-fi, it was this weird thing.
3: For me, I, my brother was also an aspect of that, because yeah. he was five years older than I was, so I read a lot of things that he also had read in the past, and he never was into it.
0: I had a younger brother who was just a few years younger than me, and he actually <clears throat> was into a lot of the same you mm-hmm. know, books and, and sci-fi stuff and you know, nerd things that I liked. Um, And so was my dad. Like, my dad was always my Star Trek uh, buddy growing Mm up. But nobody cared about Animorphs. Like, it was too silly. It was too weird. Uh, And I didn't have any friends who were into it either. Like, to this day, I don't... You're really the only other person I know who like cares about animals.
3: And you know the really cool thing about the Nerdalogs is that I started throwing Animorphs references into shows, and it fucking brings people out of the woodwork. (laughs) It's amazing. I've had probably four or five people individually come up to me after shows. Where I've thrown out an Animorphs reference, specifically after our sketchfest show, because it was a very important plot point. Um, uh, who came up to me and were like, "Oh my god, Animorphs! I love Animorphs too!" And it was the coolest thing because it's you it said something-
0: it was the it was it was if you think about it, it was Animorphs happened and reached their peak because once it was twenty books in, no no one knew it was going to get into the Animorphs, right? They were yeah. selling books. To the fans who started reading them when they got it in Nickelodeon Magazine or whatever. Mm -hmm. So the people who were into it, it was the last time you could be into something without talking about it on the internet. Now, no matter what obscure thing you're into, you find the forum for it or the subreddit for it. You -hmm. you know, you're you're the Tumblr tag and you follow other, you know, Doctor Who, Mm -hmm. you know... Tumblers or whatever, mm-hmm. or um,
3: listen to podcasts. But, yeah, about that Yeah, there's,
0: there's like. so I mean, nerd culture in general, right? Has has become incredibly connected and, and supportive, and that's an amazing thing. I certainly I don't want to like take away from that, um, but. I think what in having this enjoyment of animorphs was like it was my thing and I collected it and I didn't really have anyone other than I literally did hang on the AOL chat room for animorphs. That's right. But amazing. I was and I was often like there was like two people in there and we really didn't have that much to say to each other. Um,
4: <laughs> and so you'd be like,
0: "Did you read the new book? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I liked it."
4: <laughs> <laughs> so you just sort of
0: sit there and hope for someone new to come in. Um, but I think it taught me. So I think the first thing was like it was it was. I think as a kid, like when you're a nerd, you don't like know you're a nerd, right? Like you just, just, you know, what's it? What what do you? You don't have those social codes yet, like Mm -hmm. when you're nine years old. So I think it was the first time I started becoming aware of, like, this part of my identity of, like, I'm really going to get into this thing, and I'm going to obsess over it, and I'm going to learn all of the facts and all of the continuity, and I'm going to know how every book connects to every other book, and I'm mm-hmm. going to read all the – collect all the bits, and I'm going to be the, the – care about it. Mm-hmm. And not for any gain, right? Like, there's – it's just for my own love of it and my own fulfillment and my own, you know, <coughs> uh, enjoyment of, of acquiring all that knowledge – and also, um, I think that just because of the silliness and because I was the only one who liked it, like, I just learned to like it on its own terms. Yeah. So it's kind of like this, this, there's this great Roger Ebert quote, um, he said about being a critic. He, he would always say, it's not what something's about, it's how it's about it. So it was like, I learned to appreciate the Animorphs, like, not for what it was about. Cause especially as the series, you know, as it went on and I got a little older, like I was, <clears throat> I already kind of knew that it was silly bullshit, but, um, I just, you know, I was like, I was still, I was still into it because it was my thing, and I yep. knew all the facts about it. Yeah, I totally related. My relate own to little that. thing. Mm-hmm. And I was well into high school, I think, in <clears throat> the last. Book yeah, came I think out, so too. Yeah. And I still, I, I was like, s- I'm gonna fucking see this thing through to the end. Yeah, and See them morph yeah. into year and it's gonna be. Ugh, great. and it's yeah. gonna
3: pay off. And yeah. even though you're probably too old to be reading a, a young adult novel, which I would argue is never true, because I still enjoy uh, reading young adult. Yeah. novels.
0: Yeah, but we, we live in a post Harry Potter age. Yeah, that's true. This was not. It was a
3: little more you acceptable. You did not now. take
0: an animorph's book to school unless you wanted to be stuffed into a locker.
3: Uh, I um.
0: Morph your way out of that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh, right before we started recording, when Max got here, one of the first conversations we had was that he was so excited to talk about this because he felt like he'd only ever been able to talk about two people about animores for about 30 seconds before they're, before they were like, okay, we get it and then and we were about to sit down and talk about it for an hour and I could not have agreed with him more yeah. um, Do you have anything else that you'd like to add <sighs> <laughs>
0: I, I, I wound up watching more episodes of Enterprise last year, and it was okay.
3: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Max, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah,
0: thank you for having me. I love Congratulations you. on one year of the podcast. It's really good.
3: <laughs> <great. laughs> thank you. Uh, I really
0: I really love it, and I look forward to a lot more years.
3: I really really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Max, I love you, and I mean that. I love you. Aw, Shut. Um, cheers. I like you. Oh, I like you, too. Uh, I have a couple more things to do. You can go ahead and have a seat if you'd like for the rest of those things. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Yes. Uh,
3: Max Timken, what a gem. Uh, To start out the last couple things, I would like to invite... Uh, the aforementioned Nick Johnson, to join me on stage. Uh, Hello. Hi. Hello. Uh, why, sh- I'm just going to let you take it away. Okay. Yeah? All right. Uh, these are just like a couple little wrap-up things. I have a couple of things to read that people sent me because they couldn't be here, and Nick has something that he wanted to say and could be here, so I'm going to let him do it.
7: Thank you. Uh, hi, everyone. Hello. First and foremost, I would like to read a statement prepared by my very best friend in the whole world, uh, Brett Dorman. He wrote a poem for you. Uh, The poem is called Poemcast MBSing. And it is a haiku. (laughs) Expert interviews. First and foremost, a good friend. King of the podcast. (laughs) There you have it. (laughs) So that's Poemcast MBSing.
3: Uh, I, I want to say something about Brett. Uh, Brett's episode was uh, episode 20, and it was about Godzilla, and it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, but what I want to say about Brett is that after episode four, I think, Brett sent me a Facebook message, uh, and he already had moved away from Chicago at this point, point. Um, and he said, hey, uh, I just wanted to let you know that I've listened to every episode of the podcast so far, and I think... You're a really uh, like amazing host, and I um, I think you should keep doing it. Um, and I really uh, appreciate everything that you're doing. So I hope that you don't have any intentions of stopping this. Um, He's a good guy. So uh, that meant. More to me than he could know, because uh, this was uh, at the time I felt like I was doing it in a vacuum, that no one was listening to it, um, and he was, and he appreciated it, and this was before Nick had even been on it, like yeah. he was just listening to uh, uh, you know the people that had up to that point, and I got to tell him that Nick was on the next episode, so that was cool
7: i I learn about more episodes of your show from Brett than from you, like he reposts every single one yeah. of them. And I listen to them because Brett says they're great to listen to, and yeah. I trust him more than, you know. More than
3: you me. trust me. <laughs> uh, you can say it. Um, but, yeah, Brett has his own pa- podcast called Cinema Punch that's got over 100 episodes. If you like movies and want to listen to someone really intelligent who loves them, discussing them, check that out, uh, because Brett has been a, in, an incredible supporter of this show from uh, practically day one.
7: Yeah, and my best friend since the sixth grade. And Nick's
3: best friend since the sixth grade. He's a big guy.
7: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, If I may, I've also prepared a statement of my own. Please. It's a little longer than a single haiku. That's okay. Uh, But this is just my reflections on uh, how I was affected by doing MBSing. Okay. Uh, Get those hankies ready. (laughs) Uh, when, When MBS asked me to BS with her, my initial reaction was twofold. First, of course I'm going to do it, if only for the sake of hanging out with someone who was once correctly described as the Ryan Ben of women. <laughs> Second, I thought, of course I'm going to do it, uh, just as a favor to a really great friend. Uh, but it turned out that that doing the show was one of the best things I could do for myself, uh, as she ended up returning the favor to me by about 1,000%. Uh, anyone who listened to the follow-up uh, in which she described uh, the, the no F X show we attended together at which I bought this shirt uh, <laughs> should already know that she managed to get a guitar pick which I brought with me uh, I didn't bring it up but I, I do have it on me uh, and she, she gave me the pick after the show ended uh, when I saw her holding it I was just excited to be seeing it up that close uh, but then when she handed it to me I straight up cried Flat out cried right there in the middle of the House of Blues uh, here in Chicago, uh, right where not minutes earlier I was flipping off the singer, uh, <laughs> screaming out curse words and stomping around like the suburban teenager I once was for whom this chaotic aggression was the only way I could find a release for all of the things that seemed to make suburban teenagers so angry. Uh, but I wasn't crying because she gave me a pick. Uh, Of course, it was held by one of my heroes, and sure, it's a memento of a great night with great friends and great music, uh, but it means a whole lot more to me than that. Uh, That night and that act for me represented what I think the podcast MBSing is all about. Someone in the world is making a concerted effort to understand someone else in the world. And and after the podcast, and especially after the concert, uh, MBS told me that she had a better understanding of what made me tick and how I became who I am. Uh, it's, it's more than understanding something I like. It's understanding why I like it and how that reflects on my personality. She didn't learn about my favorite band, No Effects. She learned about me. When she handed me the pick, uh, an already selfless act in and of itself, I realized that MBS isn't doing this podcast for herself. She's doing it because she cares so deeply about the people around her and genu- genuinely wants to understand them on a deeper level, an act that people really don't do all that often. Uh, She realizes that people are passionate about all sorts of things and that that passion is unique and beautiful and needs to be displayed to the world. So if you have a drink on you, raise it up. Here's to a wonderful person taking time out of her life to make her friends feel special because, and I quote, she loves you and she means that.
3: Holy shit uh that was really sweet <laughs> thanks Nick happy <laughs> to um I uh I uh I I agree with that um but it's really nice to hear from someone else <laughs> um and that really does sum up uh what that whole experience was like for me uh I have two really short things uh, to read before, uh, before I end this. Uh, one of them is that uh, Chris Geiger just texted me from the booth and said that he thinks that uh, when he did the podcast, he said there were 450 Pokemon, and there are actually 719, and he's really embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, um, I already was going to say something about uh, dear Matt Viscanage, who is in the audience. Uh, he was the second guest of the show, very, very early adapter of MBSing. And it uh, really, we both agreed, marked the beginning of um, a nice friendship and creative collaboration that we have. And I don't know if we would have that if it uh, hadn't been for him doing the show. He also texted me twice during the show to say, that was your fict. and he said it's like a yerk took over the person who made the animorphs tv show hashtag loose change (laughs) 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 Um, (laughs) uh, so (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much matt for that uh and the last thing i want to read uh is something uh from a message or uh, from a message that Jennifer Baird, uh, who is my guest on episode 17, is also uh, here, um, she said, uh, she is also someone who has told me multiple times how much she loves the show and listens to every episode, and, and I just don't ever know how to fully uh, uh, interpret that with words, except saying thank you a lot and and saying that I appreciate it and that I, I love that people love this because it... Uh, means a lot to me, and um, the fact that it means a lot to anyone else is uh, uh, surprising but cool. Um, she said that the thing that she loves the most about the podcasts is that how much fun everyone is having. Uh, the laughter is really contagious, and it makes her laugh. She loves the stories that people tell, and even though it isn't a storytelling podcast, it, it sometimes flows that way, and she really likes it. Uh, she loves the question that I asked towards the end of how the topic affects the person's life creatively, and she even happen. uh, she even loves when, uh, other improvisers are on the show, and she enjoys the stories that we share about doing shows and projects together, because it's, uh, like getting a behind-the-scenes look at, uh, what it's like to be a creative person. Uh, so thank you for sharing those thoughts. Thank you for very, very much, uh, for what you wrote, um. And thank you all very, very much for being here and for celebrating this with me and for uh, one year. Uh, And all I have left to say is that I love
4: you all, and I mean that.